0: And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the word of God and turn with me to the book of 1st Corinthians and chapter number 9. The book of 1st Corinthians and chapter number 9. We're continuing with the book of 1st Corinthians and the Apostle Paul has taken the early part of the book of Corinthians to be able to clarify some things, try to correct some behaviors, try to point out some things that needed to be taken care of. In chapter seven and chapter eight, he has dealt with some of the questions that the Corinthian church had brought to him. And in chapter nine, the apostle Paul saw fit to defend his apostleship, to defend him being a preacher and trying to understand or give understanding the church of Corinth, that it was God that placed him there. And he explained that he should live in the ministry and how he tried not to take anything from the Corinthian people so that way they couldn't take away his glory. And now as he's continuing to defend his apostleship, he now gets brass tacks. We get to learn a little bit more about his preaching, about God calling him to preach, and how serious of a call that was to the Apostle Paul. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 9. The book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and notice with me starting at verse number 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15. But I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things, that it should be done unto me. For it were better for me to die than that any man should make my glory void. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me, yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel." For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me." What is my reward then, verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel? For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself a servant unto all, that I might gain the more." And unto the Jews I became as a Jew. That I may gain the Jews. And to them that are under the law, as under the law. That I may gain them that are under the law. And to them that are without law, as without law. Being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. That I may gain them that are under the Without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I may gain the weak. And I am made all things to all men, that I may by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth a prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of First Corinthians in chapter number 9? First Corinthians chapter number 9, and notice the end of the Uh, the end phrase of verse number 16, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. And with this, we're going to see more about what does it mean to be a preacher, how important it was to the apostle Paul, and how serious of a charge it was under the Lord, who put him there to be a preacher. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for you being a wonderful God. And as we come up to you, we're just asking that you would just give me grace that you would give us wisdom and that you would let this open up in a special way that these good folks can see a little bit about what it means to be called to preach. What does it mean to be a preacher of the gospel and what is laid there for necessity? What is important? How is it set in order? And that we could see as we look through the lens of the Bible through history, how important this call to preach was to the Apostle Paul, Lord With your spirit, put power in here. With your spirit, let it be clear and let it be easily understood. With your spirit, you would draw us closer to you that we could desire to be used of you as we could see the Apostle Paul's desire to be used by you. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. For the Apostle Paul, it was quite simple. Preach or die. Notice again in verse number 15. It says, but I have used none of these things, neither have I written these things that it should be done unto me, for it would be better for me to die than that any man should glory, make my glory void. We could see that woe was unto me if I preached not the gospel. Paul's choice was simple, preach or die. Follow God's will or die. He didn't want anything else but God's good perfect and acceptable will. That's what I want. I don't want anything else. And if I'm not doing what God's given me, I'd rather just die. I don't want to be put on the shelf. I don't want to be put aside. I want God's good and perfect and acceptable will. For the apostle Paul, that was to be a preacher. If you don't mind, let's examine this passage and see Paul's um, (laughs) importance, the importance he placed on the call of God on his life to be a preacher. Notice if you don't mind, we see first of all, the preacher has no glory. The preacher has no glory. Verse number 15, he says, but I, Paul, have used none of these things. What is he talking about? Remember the context, he's defending his apostleship and he is speaking about the principle of finances for the preacher. And remember that as he left off, he said, I purposely didn't charge the church of Corinth anything. I didn't ask for money. I depended upon God. I didn't want any of you to get to the idea that you had, the, had uh, controlled Paul and that the only reason why Paul's in the ministry is because of this. I wanted God to get the glory of it. There's nothing for me to boast of. Notice he says, but I've used none of these things, neither have I written these things that it should be done unto me. For it'd be better for me to die than any man make my glorying void. Paul says, listen, I have nothing to boast about. It's all about God. I'm here as an apostle because of God. I'm here as a preacher because of God. I'm here as a saved person because of God. I have nothing to glory myself. The apostle Paul is not great. It's all about God. It's all about God. And I don't want anyone to take away from it. And saying that they're the reason why apostle Paul did this. And they're the reason why apostle Paul did this. And that they're the reason why Paul is successful. I'd rather die than that happen. Because it's not my glory. It's all about God. You know, the preacher has nothing to glory of himself. All the preacher is, is a messenger boy. It's God's message. It's not even the preacher's message. It's God's message. God's the one who places a preacher into the ministry. God's the one who places a preacher a certain place. God is the one who gives the preacher the message to speak. It's all about God. Nothing about the preacher. He just happens to be someone that God is using as an instrument to get his work accomplished. And Paul says, I'm going to be very careful. It's not me. It's God. And I don't want anyone to take away that glorying, that glory in God, trying to say that you did something when it was the Lord who did it. The preacher has no glory. Not only do we see that the preacher has no glory, but we also see the preacher is compelled. The preacher is compelled. Notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse 16. For though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. Notice that word necessity. That word necessity carries with it the idea of being compelled. To be forced. The word is often used for the word torture. So when he says of necessity, I'm being compelled. It is torture. I am being forced into this. There was an outside source compelling the preacher. And that was God. God was the one who was putting him there. That's the wonderful savior. By the way, if it is not the savior, it's the wrong force. This is important for the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul says, I need to preach or die. Either I do God's will or I'm going to die because it's God that's compelling me. It is God that is forcing me. The Bible speaks about the, the callings of God are without repentance, meaning that God doesn't mistake, doesn't make mistakes, and he doesn't take it back. The most miserable people I know are preachers who become disqualified. Because they still have the call of God. And they still have that compelling. They still have that necessity. They still have that torture of God pushing them. However, they're unable to fulfill that. That's why they're the most miserable people I know. Because they have that calling. You know, there's something about the calling to preach. Is that you, you feel this God pushing you into it. And you can't do anything else but preach that's something with the call to preach. If uh, many preachers including Spurgeon, D.L. Moody, others said if you could do something else other than preach and be satisfied you're not called to preach. There is a compelling an outside force that there's nothing else I could be satisfied with other than preach the gospel. That's a powerful force. Because a lot of people can tinker with things. A lot of people can do things and still be happy. But with the preacher, this is a God-called position. This is a God-called force. And God gets behind it. And he's behind it. And he is compelling. It is out of necessity. It is even of the word torture that he is, it's a forceful word to show that it is God that is pushing him there. And there is no other choice. There's no backup plan. Why is it that preachers have a hard time leaving the pulpit when they're old? Because they still have that call. There's still some preach in them. They still, what else am I going to do other than preach? There's something into it. It is an outside force. Now for some people, this may sound foreign. This may sound um, (coughs) different. But without a doubt, anybody who knew Paul said, listen, God put him there. There's nothing else that he can do. He will not be satisfied if he is not preaching. Preach or die. I've got to preach. God's put something into me. And he's laid this to my necessity. I have to serve God. Now, again, if that is not God that's putting you there then it is the wrong force. From time to time, there is some mama called and papa led preacher that goes in there because mama told him he needed to be a preacher or daddy thought it would be a good idea. That is someone that's headed for disaster. But someone who is called to preach, there's no other option. Preach or die. Preach or die. I've got to preach. With this, we see something else. That the preacher has a different payday. A preacher has a different payday. Notice with me if you don't mind in verse number 17. For if I do this thing willingly. I have a reward. What thing? This preach. If I preach willingly. I have a reward. God has set, th- uh, set aside for me to follow after. And it's not a paycheck. It's not money. It's not gold. It's not houses or lands. God has a different payday for it. And I could trust him for this. He says, for if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. This word dispensation carries the idea of a manager of a house. A manager of a house. He says, I'm a steward. God has placed me steward over his work. He has placed me here and I could do it willingly and I get a reward. But even if not, I'm still placed as a steward and I'm going to have to give an account. I'd rather do it willingly. He has a choice. Do I do my will or do I do God's will? I surrender my will and make it God's will saying this is what God has for me. Of course, we know that this house is a local church in this financial matters. Uh, the financial no longer matters. Not doing it for the paycheck, not doing it to get money, not doing it to get rich. I'm doing it because this is what God has given to me. And then I've got a better reward than just going in for a paycheck, trying to get my 40 hours in, trying to look for the 41 okay or whatever it is. I messed that one up. Not looking for the retirement. I have something better. God has a reward. And he has something for me. And I've got to preach. I've got to preach or I'm going to die. Moving forward, there's a different payday. Notice again as he continues with this in verse 18. What is my reward then? Verily, that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge. That I abuse not my power in the gospel. He says, listen. I'm not trying to get money from you. I'm going to preach whether I get paid or not. I'm going to preach whether I get compensation or not. I'm going to preach whether it makes me rich or whether it makes me poorer. I'm not in it for the finances. I'm preaching because God is taking care of me. My money is not my reward. Having God's will is my reward. Many people are familiar with Charles Spurgeon the prince of preachers. He was used in a very mighty way at the end of the 1800s. And of course, there were other famous people there in the 1800s. One of them was a very famous person by the name of P.T. Barnum. P.T. Barnum, who was in charge of Barnum and Bailey Circuses. He was very much uh, going around as a barker, trying to find as many acts as he possibly could to put inside of the tent, inside of the circus, to attract crowds. He had heard of Spurgeon and heard of Spurgeon gathering things up. And so he put a very lucrative offer. Again, this is the late 1800s. And he told Charles Spurgeon that I would love for you to headline some of my acts. And that wherever we travel, I want you to come. And I will give you whatever you want. I'll give you as much manpower as want. I'll give you as big as a tent as you want. I'll give you any equipment that you need. Whatever you think you need to there. In fact... You could preach as long as you want. You could preach as short as you want. I just want you to come to my circus and you're going to attract crowds. Think of all the people that will come to hear you. Now, the only caveat is that we get all the gate. Barnum and Bailey gets all the gate. Uh, the circus gathers all the gate. However, every time you preach, we'll give you a thousand dollar stipend. Can you imagine that? It's late 1800s. Every time you preach, $1,000. Spurgeon, think of all the people as we travel across the world that you could preach the gospel to. Spurgeon, think about all the people you could influence. Think of all the people that will come to hear you. And then on top of that, $1,000 for how many times you preach. Short as you want, as long as you want. If you want to preach for two hours, help yourself. You want 15 minutes, help yourself. $1,000 each time. Well, Charles Spurgeon wrote back to P.T. Barnum, simple letter that said, I thank you so much for your generous offer. However, you will find my answer in the book of Acts chapter 13 and verse 10. If you don't mind, let's look and see what the answer is. We're coming back to first Corinthians, but notice what Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, Wrote to P.T. Barnum. What was his answer? Now we don't know P.T. Barnum looked up his Bible and looked at Acts 13.10. But this was the answer that Spurgeon gave back to him. He says, and said, O full of subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, will thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? He said, I'm not for sale. Now, I'm not going to let you pervert the gospel. I'm not going to allow you to turn the gospel into a sideshow act. I'm not going to let you turn it. I will not be for sale. There's a preacher not for sale. You know a God called preacher? Not for sale. The preacher is going to preach whether you pay him or not. The preacher is going to pay preach no matter if people are with offering to withhold money or not. I heard a preacher say that I'll preach, at the drop of my, uh, I'll preach at the drop of a hat and I'll drop my own hat if I have to. I'm here to do the Lord's work. I'm not here for the money. I've got a different payday. Preachers are not for sale. I'm going to let God take care of me. You know, when you look through the different preachers throughout the Bible, you could see that whether it's a Jeremiah, that's a preacher, not for sale. And he did it whether he got paid or not. You look at Ezekiel, there's a preacher not for sale and he was going to preach whether he got paid or not. You look at a John the Baptist, there's a preacher not for sale. He was going to preach whether he got paid or not. He wasn't in it for the money because we have a different payday. What is the payday? To be used of God. To see people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. To see people come and have their lives changed as they make a decision to follow after the Lord. That's worth it all. That's what God has given us to do. Uh, It's not for sale. It's not for finances. The preacher has a different payday. Notice if you don't mind as we go on. Here the Apostle Paul is talking to the church of Corinth. Now remember the context that they're doubting his apostleship. They're trying to dissuade him and trying to say that his message doesn't count. Remember the context. The people have been fighting quite a bit about my liberty. My liberty. I have the right to do this and I have the right to do this. But you know, there's a second, another thing in here that the preacher has no freedom. The preacher has no freedom. Now, I contrast it with a church that has been fighting for my liberty. I can do this if I want to. I can do this. It's all about my rights, what I can do. I can do this and get away with it. The apostle Paul says, that's not what I have. I don't have freedom. I don't have liberty. Notice what he says, if you don't mind, in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Notice with me in verse 19. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself a servant. That word servant is the idea of slave. I have made myself a slave unto all. Why? That I might gain the more. Now, in the contrast, the people were saying, my liberty. They were fighting for their rights. My liberty is more important than anything else. However, Paul says, I made a choice to become a slave. I was free. I had so much liberty. Now remember, he was literally free. 75% of the Roman empire were slaves. Paul was not just a free man, someone who had earned his freedom. He was also a Roman citizen. He was in a very select few people in all of the empire. And he says, I gave that up to become a slave. Now, in a culture where everyone's slaves and a culture where everyone knows about slavery, you can imagine how baffling that would be to say, I willingly became a slave. Everyone else is trying to become Free everyone's trying to have their own liberty everyone's trying to get to the place where no one's telling them what to do Paul says I became a slave willingly on purpose a slave to what God told me to do I don't have any freedom if God says go here I go here if God says say this I say this if God says do this I do this I've made myself a slave why that I may gain the more He says, I'm going to let God lead me because I want to see more people saved. I want to let God put me in a place because I want to see more people saved. I want God to let me preach here because I want to see more people follow after him. I'm going to let God make the choose. I'm going to let God make the decisions for me because he knows what's best. And I just want to be used in a powerful way. The one thing I do not want is to be put on a shelf. We'll talk about that in a second. And He says, I just want to be used. I want God to use me. And God is allowed to tell me to do whatever else. I no longer have a choice. It's no longer God says, hey, I want you to do this. And Paul says, let me think about it. Let me pray about it. Give me a little bit to meditate on it. He says, my answer is yes, sir. You're the boss. He says, I no longer have freedom. I no longer have a choice. It's not my will. It's God's will. Notice as he goes on. Verse 20. And unto the Jews... I became a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. And to them that are under the law, as under the law, that I may gain them that are under the law. And to them without the law, as without the law, being without the law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I may gain them that are without the law. Now this is pretty interesting. Now some people will try to take this passage and run a little bit further, but let's just take the context in the apostle Paul. What does it mean to win a Jew to Christ? The apostle, the Bible says that five different times the apostle Paul received 40 stripes, save one. What does that mean? It means five different times the apostle Paul was put on trial and he was pronounced guilty for proclaiming the risen Christ. Now this is big. The synagogue then would put that person, Paul, on trial. The rulers would consider the preaching of the risen Christ as blasphemy. And if someone committed the sin of blasphemy according to the law, they would be cut off from the people. What does that mean? So the apostle Paul preached a risen Christ. According to them, he was guilty of blasphemy. And he was to be removed from fellowship from all Jewish people forever. Well, the Apostle Paul didn't want that. He wanted to reach the Jews. So the Old Testament law allowed... Four In the book of Leviticus chapter 18, verse 29, Deuteronomy 25, verse 13, there was a province of the law that Paul was found guilty, but according to the law, he could willingly, pers- willingly take a beating. He would be able to allow to take stripes. Now, remember the stripes are actually taking a whip. And he would be put against a post and they would take that whip and beat him 40 or 39 times. These lashes that would put him close to death. If he took these lashes, he would be forgiven of his infraction of blasphemy and once again be allowed to go fellowship and talk to the Jewish people again. He would be considered a brother still. That means the apostle Paul. Imagine first time. Paul you've been found guilty by this synagogue for blasphemy. You must be removed from all fellowship. Leave now. The apostle Paul says sirs. Inside of your law. It says that I could take the punishment of whipping in order to restore fellowship, can I take that option? You mean, you could walk off scot-free without getting whipped. You could walk away without being touched. You could walk away without any marks. Why wouldn't you do that? Paul says, no, I want to be able to fellowship. I've been found guilty, I'm a slave, I submit to the laws of my master. Please beat me. Please whip me. You know, it's one thing to be whipped outside of your will. But can you imagine volunteering? Now, when he's volunteering, he's volunteering to a bunch of Jewish people who hated him. Do you think they're going to take it easy? Not at all. So Paul was stripped down willingly. He was tied up to a post willingly. They took this whip. One, two, three. And they would go harder. Many of them would probably and probably do it to the idea that they wanted to kill him with the whips. 39 times. It was against the law to go past 40. So as a safety net, the Jewish people would stop at 39 just in case they miscounted. They would take him down and say, you've now paid your penance. You're now allowed to go talk to Jewish people again. He would say, thank you, sir. And go talk to Jewish people again. Until he was found guilty by another synagogue. They would put him on trial and say, you are found guilty of blasphemy because you preach about a risen Christ. You are now exiled, set aside. You can no longer talk to a Jewish person. The apostle Paul says, sir, according to your law, I can be beaten and be restored to fellowship. Can I take that beating? Now one almost killed him. And yet he is volunteering again for a beating so he could be restored to fellowship. Five times he willingly took a beating. This isn't the actions of a free man. This is the actions of a slave being obedient to his master his master chose to allow him to be beat, he took the beating for the purpose that he could still win the Jewish people. Someone says, listen, Paul, you're the apostle to the Gentiles. Just go to the Gentiles. Why go back? Why? He says, those are my people and I want to win them to the Lord. Remember, Apostle Paul, when he would go to a new town, he would always start at the synagogue. He would start with God's people. They're the ones who had the scriptures, they're the ones who had the familiarity. He could build from the known to the unknown. Could you imagine? One beating's enough to almost kill you, and to volunteer for it five times. What are you willing to suffer for the gospel? What are you willing to do in order to be obedient to what God has given you to do? Five times, just so he had the privilege to win Jewish people to the Lord. Five times. Paul says, this is what I want to do. I don't have any freedom I submit myself to my master so I could win the more. Verse 22. To the weak, I became as weak that I may gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. The apostle says, listen. I don't have a freedom. It's not about me. I'm not trying to make myself bigger than than what I am. I'm not trying to say everyone should listen to me because of how great I am. I'm willing to put myself in a weak position to win those around me. Now, some people have foolishly tried to apply this that said, well, in order to reach homeless people, I got to become homeless or at least act or smell homeless. That's not what it's saying. Well, in order to reach young people, I got to act stupid like young people and dress stupid like young people. That's not what it's saying. But what it is saying is that we know the people that's around us. If you could forgive the personal illustration, but this is something God has really taught me in the last couple years, is that we know for police officers, there are different personalities. Most of them are alpha males. They're in charge and they have to remain in charge. Well, anyone who knows me knows that I'm also alpha. And anyone who knows nature, you can't put two alphas together. Mm -hmm. I cannot boss around any police officer and expect to make headway. You know what that means? That in order to win them, I must choose to be weak. Submissive. Yes, sir. And do the things that I may not willingly want to do But I choose to, that's not illegal or moral and biblical, in order to win them, to act weak. Again, it's the idea of meekness, strength under control. That when I'm around someone who's more submissive, they may need someone to take authority. You need to do this. You need to obey. It's understanding the audience and how to deal with people that I may win the more. There are times that I need to be clear. You need to do this. And there are times that I'm around people that I say, yes, sir, and influence them in order to win them. That changes a lot. Because just trying to pretend to act like them, you're not going to win them. A cheap imitation does not impress anybody. But understanding that I'm a slave... My job is to do whatever is necessary that's not illegal, immoral, biblical to win that influence. Paul says, I took the beatings. Five times I volunteered. I didn't have to. Five times I risked my life just to have the privilege of winning someone to the Lord. For a lot of us, it doesn't take that much to scare us off. Well, I'm not going to witness to them. I'm not going to talk to them. Now, again, this isn't being stupid and being bold and say, I don't care. They can fire me. That's not what we're saying at all. It's being able to work within the rules that you have and earn influence and become weak to win them to the Lord that I may win the more. You know, there's something about all of us is that we still want to be in charge. You may think that you're quiet and meek. You may say, well, I'm always passive until you get something that you want. Until it's offering to hurt you. Unless it's taking away your sleep. Unless it's taking away your pro- football game. Unless, it, you know, you fill in the blank. We all have our limits. We all have our things where we're like, I'm not, no, you're not going to inconvenience me this way. I mean, we're all willing to obey the doctor, tell us, tell us, tell us, can't have spaghetti anymore. You know, we, we all know. Paul says, I'm willing to do whatever it takes, even if it hurts me, even if it inconveniences me. I have no more freedom. It's no longer my will, my life, my decisions. i made myself a slave to my master. Whatever my master tells me to do, I'm willing to do. I'm a slave. My master tells me to get out in the field and work. I go out to the field and work. My master tells me to do the dishes. Then I do the dishes. That I may gain the more. It's such a foreign mentality to us Americans who fight for our rights all the time. To see someone to say, I choose to become weak. I I was born free, but I choose to make myself a slave. I'm allow people to make fun of me, to laugh at me, to laugh at my bonds, that I may win the more. Verse 23, and this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. He says, I do all of this for the gospel's sake, not for my sake, but that I want to see more people saved. You ever think about how many people are not saved because we're not willing to submit? Not willing to allow us to have a master to tell us what to do? How many people aren't saved because we're not willing to be inconvenienced? The preacher has no freedom. One more thing that we see here with the Apostle Paul is that the preacher runs the race to win. The preacher runs the race to win. Verse number 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that you may obtain. Now look at this. This goes against our current American. Know ye not that they that run in a race run all. So all these people run, but only one wins. Notice there's not a participation prize in this verse. Why do you run the race? To win. Not to participate, to win. I am running in order to win the race that I have, not to skip along, not to hope that I somehow survive. Just outside the city of Corinth, the triennial Greek games were held. These games were famous. At the time of Paul's writings, these games overshadowed the Olympics. These games were the chief glory of the city of Corinth. One of the important events inside of these triennial game, um, Greek games was the race. The word race here is picturing a stadium or a racetrack. And the only way that you could win is if you actually run. To win a race, you have to learn to be temperate. Notice in verse 23. And every man that striveth for the mastery. Now again, here's what we're striving for. I'm striving to be the best. I'm striving for the mastery. I'm striving to be be the best I can in the field that I have. I strive for the mastery. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate. In all things. This word temperate is a very important word. It carries the idea that there are things that I choose not to do. So I could win my race. Now. I know it doesn't look like it now. But once upon a time ago I was a distance runner. Knew a little bit about racing. And in order to run the race there are certain things I would choose not to do. For example, I wouldn't stuff myself full of pasta and spaghetti right before a race. Now, is there anything wrong with spaghetti? Anything illegal, moral, biblical? No. But I choose not to do it because it's going to slow me down. It's going to weight me down. I'm not going to run my race uh, (coughs) trying to eat a bunch of ice cream beforehand. Why not? It's going to slow me down. Is there anything wrong with ice cream? No but I choose not to do it. There are certain things I choose not to have on me. I'm not going to carry and to win a a race, a bunch of sandbags. Sure. I could carry the sandbags. There's nothing wrong and legal, but it's going to hold me back from winning. I'm going to set aside every weight which easily beset me, which is sin. I'm going to set those things aside so I could win my race. I choose not to do some things. I choose not to have, because I want to win my race. If Christians would get to the place where they try to win the race rather than them participating, there'd be a lot more that got done. Paul says, listen, I don't want to be a participation. I don't want to just say, well, I was there. I want to win the race. God has given each one of us an independent race, by the way. What are we racing against? We're racing against our own opportunities. We're racing against our own abilities. Every one of us have a different race. We're not racing against each other, but we're racing to win our race. Wouldn't it be horrible if there was a race of one and you still got a participation prize? You couldn't even win your race. You couldn't finish your race. You couldn't do well at your race. We all have a race to one. Now notice verse 25. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown. You know what happens in those Olympic games or the triennial games? Is that the winner would be brought up to the front and, brought and given a laurel leaf. Just a crown of leaves around them. It won't even last long. But that's what he got. I run so hard to get this. That's it. Temporal. They worked all year round for that one race to win it just to get a little crown. That's it. Now we don't run our race to get something temporal that's going to fall apart. We are running a race in order to obtain an incorruptible crown. That if we run the race that we ought to do and win the race... God says that there's an incorruptible crown that we could win at the judgment seat of Christ. This is a crown that we get for those who show self-control, those who show temperance, those who say, I know there are things I could do, but I choose not to do them so I could win the race that I am. To be the best Christian I ought to be in the race that God has given to me. Now again, all of you have your own race to win. What are you doing to win that race? Or are you kind of hop, skipping and jumping? Are you kind of saying, well, I'm going to take a rest here. Could you imagine watching the Olympics and some guy gets a lawn chair, just kind of, well, hold on. Oh, take a break. I'll I'll get back into it in a bit. Does he have any chance of winning? Not at all. The idea is that I'm running the race to win and you'll never win if you aren't discipline. So many people miss that word discipline and they won't discipline themselves. Notice verse 26. I therefore, in order to win my race, I therefore so run not as uncertainly. He says, I'm not running it saying, well, maybe I'll do good. Maybe I'm running to win so fight i not as one that beateth the air this carries the idea of shadow boxing that if i'm going to win a fight i just don't punch the air i've got to connect i've got to actually get in contact i'm never going to win a fight as long as i don't have an opponent and kind of doing what the moving and jiting and just hit my own shadow it's never going to work i got to get in the fight And if you're in a fight, you're going to fight to win. You're not going to fight to get second place. Hey, you know what? Punch me as far as you can. I just want to show. No, you fight to win. But it requires discipline. So verse 27, but I keep my body and bring it into subjection. This carries the idea. I put my body in discipline. Again, most of us are so on discipline, It's just part of being fat, happy America. So we don't have to work for a lot. We could show up at a job, put in a minimum idea. And when that carries into our Christianity, we do the bare minimum for Christianity enough so that we don't feel guilty about it. But we don't fight our race to win. We don't run our race for the mastery. But I keep my body and bring it to subjection lest by any means... When I preach to others, notice what he said his fear was. That I myself should be a castaway. This idea of castaway carries the idea to be put up on the shelf, not to be used. For anyone who wants to be used of God, the worst thing that can happen is for us to be put on the shelf. Us to be put aside and say, you know what? You're not going to do anything. To feel useless. Paul says, I do all of these things so I could reach the more. Could you imagine the Apostle Paul willingly to take five beatings, willingly to take five beatings, and then mess up where God says, I can't use you, come over here, and be unusable after that? He says, Listen, after all of this, I want to stay usable. You know how easy it is for us to become unusable? Just get out of our Bible for a while and we become unusable. Let our prayer life dry up and we become unusable. Place ourselves in a a position where we won't obey God. We become unusable usable. When we put little lines in the sand and say, God, I'm not going to cross this line. We become unusable. When we no longer make ourselves available, we become unusable. When we allow sin in our life and don't confess it to God and get it cleaned up, we become unusable. Paul says, that's the last thing I want. I did a lot to put myself in a position where God can use me as his instrument. Where God can say, I know who I could use. Paul, you're up. If anybody who's played sports and wants to win, coach, put me in, put me in. The last thing you want to do is sit on the bench and watch everyone else play. Put me in, coach, put me in. Paul says, I don't want to be put on the bench. I want to be usable of God. My worst fear is to be put upon the shelf. Unusable, untouched. God says, "Eh, I can't use you. You're not the instrument. No, I'm going to put someone else in there. The apostle Paul says, listen, my choice is this. Preach or die. Follow God's will. Find what God has given me to do and win it. I don't want to be put to the side. I don't want to miss all that God has for me because my payday is not here. My payday is facing him and seeing all that he has used me for saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. My payday is pleasing him and seeing people get saved and more people following after him. I want to be used of God. This is too important. Preacher, die. Follow God's will or be put on the shelf. Be made a slave or fight for my rights. He says, I make myself temperate. I discipline my life to win my race. Every single one of us have a race to be won. Let me ask you a simple question. Are you winning? Are you winning your race? or are you just playing at it? Are you participating? Or even worse yet, are you watching from the bench, watching from the sidelines, cheering everybody else? Everyone has a race to run. Not everyone's called to be a preacher, but everyone has a purpose in their life. Every single one of you have a good and perfect and acceptable will for your life. There is a reason why God saved you. There is a reason why God created you. There is a reason why God placed you here. And it's not to sit on the shelf, it's not just to be a plaything or mess around thing. God placed you here to win your race. So, what's holding you back from winning your race? Pride? Your liberty, lack of discipline, lack of motivation, lack of submission. Every single one of us can win your race. Paul says, for me, I either preach or die. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. five three zero six three oh eight once again that number is nine two zero five three oh six three oh eight if there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you please let us know we would love to make ourselves available thank you